0: In 2001, the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded jointly to Eric Cornell, Wolfgang Ketterle, and Carl Wyman, quote, for the achievement of Bose Einstein condensation in dilute gases of alkali atoms and for early fundamental studies of the properties of the condensates, end quote. So that we're all on the same page, Bose Einstein condensate, or BEC, is a state of matter in which separate atoms, or subatomic particles, cooled to near absolute zero, as in zero degrees Kelvin, or negative 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit, for those of us who don't deal in Kelvin normally, these cooled atoms coalesce into a single quantum mechanical entity. In other words, it becomes a wave function. Albert Einstein predicted this in 1924 based off of work of the Indian physicist Satyendra Nath Bose, hence Bose-Einstein. If your eyes crossed while listening to this, don't worry, because mine did too, and I was doing the researching and writing this. But let's fast-forward 10 years from 2001 to 2011. In that year, I was a ninth grade teacher, beginning the school year with an exercise I did for all of my students. This exercise was simple subject and pop culture trivia, and I wanted to get the kids' brains working. I wanted to get some conversations going. I wanted to get some good laughs. Essentially, this was a way for me to get to know my students in class in a different way than, than normal. When it came time for them to go over answers, especially when I had them list out the four states of matter, solids, liquids, gases, and plasmas, a student raised his hand and told me I was wrong, that there were five states of matter. I didn't include Bose-Einstein. I'd never even heard of Bose-Einstein, so obviously the student had to have been confused. Then I did one thing wrong that forced me to have to do multiple things right in order to fix that wrong. So what did I do wrong? Well, I told the student he was incorrect. And it was at this exact moment, and on the first day of school, no less, I put my credibility on the line as a teacher at stake. But before we go into how to maintain, create, fix, or even ruin credibility, we really need to do a dive into what credibility actually is and what it means to a teacher. Hello everyone, I am your host, Nate Ball, and welcome to The Instructor's Kitback, an Army Logistic University podcast discussing tips, strategies, ideas, history, and current trends in the educational world. Whether you are a veteran teacher or new to the profession, we welcome you to join us in our pursuit of teaching and learning. So let's get ready to train the talent of tomorrow. Everyone listening now, I'm sure, has a story of how some teacher they knew absolutely sabotaged their career doing something that severely tarnished their credibility. But what about those that maybe not sabotaged their career, but Maybe sabotage their credibility within the classroom. They only lost partial credibility. Do you remember a teacher that gave you a reason to question their credibility? Maybe they were perceived as not being fair in their grading. Maybe they treated certain students differently than others. What about those teachers that seemed unprepared or didn't pronounce certain words correctly? And more importantly, is it possible that some of your students might perceive you to be unprepared? They might perceive you not to be knowledgeable in your content. And that's why we need a chat about credibility. According to the Teacher Credibility and Collective Efficacy Playbook, which was published in 2020, quote, teacher credibility has twice as much influence on achievement as does student motivation, end quote. Because this is quite a dramatic impact on student performance, the playbook goes on to break teacher credibility into four components, trust, competence, dynamism, and immediacy. So let's go ahead and start unpacking trust. In the book, Killing Giants, 10 Strategies to Topple the Goliath in Your Industry, Author Stephen Denny says, Trust is built on credibility, and credibility comes from acting in others' interests before your own. As instructors, we can sometimes be seen as these immovable gatekeepers, allowing no one to pass unless they perform some fantastic feat to prevail, much like Gandalf against the Balrog in Lord of the Rings. Or maybe, if you're not familiar with that reference, how about the genie in Aladdin? Phenomenal cosmic powers, itty bitty teaching space. But in reality, as an educator, we want everyone to pass through the gates. Sometimes that means we need to keep our students' interests at the forefront. This of course doesn't mean we need to be friends, but for students, they do need to know that we, as instructors, have their academic interests at heart. Here's what we can do to make sure we promote that. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. This could be something as simple as telling them when you're going to grade an assignment and have that assignment graded by that time. You need to keep all lines of communication open. If we want our students to let us know of any issues immediately, we can do the same. Don't sugarcoat a student's performance. If they didn't do a good job at something, let them know. But that doesn't mean you need to do it in a blunt or dismissive way, but find out why they didn't perform well. Maybe they were confused on the instructions. Maybe they're just having concept issues. The point is, we need to find out. And lastly, treat all students fairly, whether it's grading, giving extra time to complete assignments, or having simple discussions. This doesn't necessarily mean students being treated fairly between each other, but also treated fairly across the classes, from class to class. All right, our second focus on credibility is going to be competence. I think we could break down competence into two dimensions, knowledge of content and delivery of content. In the first dimension, it isn't only about knowing the content. Yeah, sure, we all look for instructors that understand what they're teaching, but we also want to know that they're continually learning about it and willing to admit when they don't have an answer on the subject. Have you ever come across an instructor who wouldn't admit when they did know something when asked? Did it turn you off in trying to learn more from this person? I remember I had an instructor in prehistory. We were learning about early humans in Africa, and when I had asked about the newest research on Neanderthal and early human interactions, he not only looked confused, but dismissed it entirely. So for me, I simply studied more to get the better of him in a future class. It's not the most mature decision, but my credibility in this instructor was now shot. So what more could I learn from someone who didn't care to keep on learning? And this actually kind of goes back to my mistake with the student. I had told the student he was incorrect in front of the class, no less, but we'll get to that in a minute on what I had to do. The second portion of competency is delivery of content. To clarify, I'm not discussing being an engaging or an entertaining teacher in this respect, though this does play a part, especially when we get to dynamism. But what I think about more with delivery of content is preparation and planning. Does the class flow in a logical order? Am I learning steps that will build upon each other to culminate in a final project or exam? Is the instructor constantly changing assignments or activities throughout the class at the last minute? Is the instructor not ready for when something like technology isn't working in class? That's especially useful now that a lot of us have gone to distance learning and virtual classes. But all these issues can be solved with proper preparation and planning. So now let's talk about engaging with dynamism. In college, I had an American history course at 8 a.m. Now, because I love the subject and it directly focused on my major, I showed up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to rock the morning. However, it's college and it's 8 a.m. So not everyone here in the class, they didn't really necessarily need it for their major. Some of them didn't even like history. But you want to know what didn't help? My professor would come in, he'd pull a chair in front of the class on a small raised platform, he'd sit down, put his hands in his pants pockets, would cross his legs in almost a dramatic fashion and then just begin the lecture for a straight hour. Dead pain. For most of his students, if sleep didn't overtake them, boredom, anger, or other myriad of emotions did. Not me, because again, I'm that nerd of history. But that's why I need to speak on dynamism. Simply put, dynamism is enthusiasm and passion on a subject. To add to that, it's spreading that enthusiasm to your students. This isn't to say that they will now love the subject you're teaching, but at the very least, they may come away with the thought, hey, that wasn't a complete waste of my time. So how do we make content interesting? Hey, thanks for asking. The best thing I think we could do is get to know the content in a different way. What I mean by that is grabbing everyone's attention, including yourself as the instructor, with some fun facts about the subject. Finding ancillary information on a subject can help reignite passion within your learning and teaching. For example, what if I added in my opening statements about Bose-Einstein condensates that it can really affect light, as in, it can slow it down. The fastest thing that we understand in science, we can slow it down to just 24 kilometers an hour. Now, obviously, I still can't outrun light, but Usain Bolt could. His top ground speed clocks in at 44.72 kilometers an hour. I can tell you I got more interested in BECs doing research for this podcast alone. Another great way to make content more interesting is finding ways to make it relevant and applicable to the students' everyday lives. Find ways they can interact differently with the information. Another example, zombie movies and TV shows were all the rage when I was teaching, and they kind of are now, but definitely when I was teaching. For a lot of students, learning about early river civilizations can be kind of drab. But what if I put the kids in a zombie-infested world where they had to reboot civilization? They had to start from scratch. And knowing how these early civilizations started could help us survive a post-apocalyptic world. My whole mission was to try to make as many connections as I could from my content that they needed to learn to a real-world process. Now, is it likely that we'll go in a post-apocalyptic world? That's up for debate. Lastly, we need to discuss immediacy. Immediacy for me is it's the trickiest of the four domains of credibility. In the article, Teacher Immediacy as a Predictor of Teaching Effectiveness, Janice Anderson says that teacher immediacy is, quote, conceptualized as those nonverbal behaviors that reduce physical and or psychological distance between teachers and students, end quote. Social psychologist Albert Mehabrian stated, quote, People are drawn toward persons and things they like, evaluate highly, and prefer, and they avoid or move away from things they dislike, evaluate negatively, or do not prefer. I think it might be best to learn immediacy through some examples. So, verbal behaviors of immediacy could include giving feedback to students, allowing an atmosphere for quick small talk, calling students by name, and asking for students' opinions on topics in class. Some nonverbal behaviors could include teacher movement around the room, using PowerPoints as supplements for teaching instead of just reading directly from it, looking at the class and being engaged when a student is speaking, involving students in finding solutions, giving them real-world scenarios to connect to the content, or just good old fashioned smiling. Yeah, smiling. According to psychologist and integrative mental health expert Roseanne Kapana Hodge, quote, smiling at another person can have a ripple effect, not only improving your own health, but creating well being in others. When we smile, it triggers a cascade of feel good brain chemicals called endorphins. So there it is credibility and its components trust, competence, dynamism, and immediacy. So our next challenge is to start checking off the boxes, so to speak. Are we keeping these components in mind before, during and after teaching? Now, how did I fix my mistake with that student? Well, I did the research. I informed the entire class I was in fact fallible and that the student was correct. I even presented him with a small trophy showing everyone that he had bested me. However, I challenged him and the rest of the class to point out where they thought I could be wrong in future subjects and together we would investigate it. Oh, and also about those Bose-Einstein condensates. Why are they cool? Get it? Because they have to be at zero degree Kelvin. Well, BECs allow us to see quantum effects at a macroscopic or larger scale. This includes superfluidity and superconductivity. I had to look those up too, and I'm not going to go into explaining to it, but I definitely suggest you look them up. In this case, the Bose i condensates, they slow light speed to a mere 24 kilometers an hour, as we stated before. This means that a pulse lasting less than a millionth of a second, which normally travels about a kilometer in that time, covers only about 20 micrometers. Mind blown. Anyways, that's it talking about credibility. Thanks for listening to The Instructor's Kit Bag. I am your host, Nate Ball. So until next time, let's get to work. Not only in training the talent of tomorrow, but training ourselves as well. Catch you next time.